3: All welcome back to the Celtics Live podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Tuff-Dubai, joined by Dr. Justin Quinn and Alex Goldberg. We are brought to you by betonline.ag, and we bring you a friend of the pod, the athletics own Jared Weiss. Jared, how are you?
0: I'm great. If I can figure out how to sit in the center of the frame, I'll be perfect.
3: You look gorgeous. Um, the YouTube crowd is gushing, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> Jared is here to talk about the second round matchup between the Celtics and the Bucks. And let's just get right into it. Alex, you have a first crack at this. Alex, tee us off our conversation with Jared Weiss of The Athletic about Celtics Bucks.
4: For sure. Yeah. So, Jared, first off, thank you for being here. Um, so, one thing that's really kind of stood out is that um, in the previous series, the Celtics went up against a, an opponent in the Brooklyn Nets that had a very different defensive scheme and different roster construction, and they were really able to exploit a lot of mismatches in that series. Um, And from your perspective, given evaluating the two rosters and particularly the two defenses, what is going to be different about this matchup with Milwaukee?
0: Well, they're going to face an actual defense. So it's a little (laughs) bit harder when that happens. So yeah, I mean, for the defense's ass, like they're, they were really bad, Uh, especially at the rim bucks are the best rim protecting team of the decade. Maybe. I mean, they're phenomenal there. So getting Brooke Lopez back late just late in or early enough into the end of the season for him to kind of be in relative rhythm for the playoffs. That was huge for Milwaukee. So that's why even with Middleton out, I still think this is a pretty deep series, but you know, Boston is not really a rim team when they finish at the rim. It's not like, it's not like with Giannis forcing his way through. It's really a lot. It's either Jalen Brown getting in space and finishing in transition or it's finding bigs, finding cutters, stuff like that. That's what Boston's really good at. And Brooklyn has the, maybe the two best rim protectors in the, in the sport. You know, we can throw Rob Williams or Rudy Gobert and probably Bam Adebayo in there. But like, you know, Brooke and Giannis are unreal around the rim. They, they will defend one action and rotate over to the other side. They'll clean up for each other. Boston is really, really relying on deep kicks or deep driving kicks to finding open shooters in the series. And that's also how Milwaukee runs their offense. So both teams are going to be sinking in to help on the drivers and then trying to close that onto shooters and just not getting passed around. And that benefits Boston more because Boston doesn't have to collapse as much as as Milwaukee does. Milwaukee collapses a ton. And their defense is so great at, You know, the classic drop coverage we've seen for them for years, where Brick Lopez sits underneath the screen, defender goes over the screen, tries to push the ball handler into the paint, and then they just like surround everybody right at that free throw line area. Um, Jalen Brown is getting better at it, but Jalen Brown's, his drive and kick game is really more predicated on kind of attacking from the angles, and then leaping up at the rim and making a kick out from there. Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart, those are the guys that can get into the teeth of that pick and roll and make plays out of that. But they're seeing way more length, way more physicality. So this, you know, Boston looked, I would say, very, very, I would say very good. They were like an eight out of 10 for the way they've been playing this year against Brooklyn. They need to be at like a 10.9 out of 10 against Milwaukee if they're going to beat them, but I'm pretty sure that
4: they can do that. So speaking of Milwaukee and kind of what you just mentioned about them. Obviously, you can't really talk about Milwaukee without talking about the uh, perennial MVP candidate on their roster, Giannis. Yes, that's exactly exactly. who I was thinking about. Um, No, so Giannis is always going to be a factor in these playoff series, but I think many would argue that the Celtics are one of the best equipped teams to actually deal with Giannis uh, in the entire Eastern Conference. So, from your perspective, What's the best way to approach a player like Giannis heading into this matchup?
0: Yeah, that's the piece I'm working on right now on The Athletic. And the main thing I'm seeing, you know, because they they already have a pretty well-established game plan on Giannis that hasn't changed that much. And their personnel is now back to being similar to where it was before. Like, they have Al Horford back. He's playing great defense right now. Grant Williams could do a lot of the stuff that Aaron Baines could do against Giannis. Daniel Tice, I think, is equally ineffective against Giannis as he was a few years ago. Uh, he helps a little bit, but he's, he was getting he was not doing well, at least in their last matchup. Uh, but I think the big differences they have is that Giannis is a much better passer than he was two years ago. Like, it's crazy that he won MVPs, and he's, he's a better player than he was at that point, and he's not winning them anymore for some reason. Uh, and so he, Giannis is much better at passing over doubles at keeping his dribble alive when they do some of the stuff they try to do to take him out of his dribbles, like forcing him to spin one direction and then trying to dig in on the blind side. Like Derek White was been really good at that. Like Derek White's probably the best at that in the NBA or pretty close. Actually, no, Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday's the best at everything defensively in the NBA, but uh, he's one of the best at it. Marcus Smart's obviously one of the best at it too. So Boston, I think Boston's defensive talent has improved since the last time these teams match up as much as Giannis has improved since these last teams matched up. So I think that their, their key points are probably still pretty similar. The one thing I'm wondering if they're going to do differently is so Giannis, you know, half court, they're fine. Like half court, they have the tools, they have the strategy. It's really about transition. And the big, th- you know, Giannis is to get most of his that good stuff in transition. And I think the key points there the first and foremost is getting back is not just getting back in the middle. It's getting back on the wings. There was this one play I saw in fourth quarter of that last game they were playing, you know, where like Luke Cornett was out there, Peyton Richard was out there. Those guys are going to see a ton of minutes, especially in the fourth quarter. I mean, Cornett, Cornett's playing with their roster construction. Then uh, something somebody fouled out like the first half probably. But uh, a big thing we saw was there was a play where they turned it over and Grant Williams was out in the corner. And I think Pat Connington was his guy. Grant just like didn't go back on defense. I don't know if he was pissed off or tired or what it was, but he didn't go back. and. Boston did an amazing job of attacking Giannis high. And so usually it would be uh, Boston would just send two guys at like the free throw line or the top of the arc that are big guys and just put their hands out while him off. But something that they can do a little bit differently when they're in their uh, smaller lineups is they'll send one guy at Giannis 30 feet out and try to knock the ball out of his hands. Another guy 25 feet out. And then there's a third defender kind of closing in on him once he gets into the paint. And so that way you're forcing Giannis to pick up the ball so early that he can't really get a shot off and he has to pass it. The problem is if if your guys in the corners, your defenders in the corners, those shooters aren't sprinting back on time, Giannis has that wide open kick out to a shooter. And so they they can make Giannis pick up the ball and pass it, but can they be disciplined enough and run enough to make sure that when he's passing it to somebody, they're not completely wide open because that's how Milwaukee wins games. And they win a lot of them because they're very good at that. And because they they work harder than just about anyone else in the league, but that's been Boston's thing is that they work harder than everyone else in the league. So if they can keep that up, you know, I think that they're equipped to be honest. I'm
4: going to swing to Justin for the next. Thanks.
2: So one of the big hallmarks of the series so far is the loss of Chris Middleton. He was recently diagnosed with a grade two MCL sprain. And they don't expect to see him again uh, in this series, uh, if not later into the next series. How big of a loss is that? And, and how does it change that dynamics, geez, uh, of this, this series for, for the Celtics?
0: Well, if you're a Celtics fan, imagine if Jalen Brown was out for the series. Remember what mm-hmm. happened last year when Jalen Brown was out for the series. That's, that's the difference. Uh, this team is obviously way better. This Bucks team is way better than that Celtics team. It's not even comparable. Um, if this Bucks team was healthy with Middleton, I think they'd probably be the favorite in this series. Uh, but I mean, it would still be razor thin. But, I mean, Chris Middleton, uh, just forget about, like, the missile star. Practical implications. Carrying the offense through bad stretches. Uh, he has always been great against the Celtics because he can shoot over everything. Back in the past, the Celtics had shorter defenders, more guys you could pick on, and he, uh, Coach Bud, was good at finding those guys and having Middleton shoot over them where the defender would be right underneath them. They'd be holding his butt basically, doing whatever they can, and he would still just rise up and shoot over them. Celtics don't really have that vulnerability anymore. Peyton Pritchard is the only guy on the roster that can... that, uh, that that's a thing with, because you bring off the bench Derek White, who's like an elite shot contester, and Grant Williams, who's become very good at that as well. So Middleton probably wouldn't have gotten those shots, the back downs that he's really good at, where he just like puts his ass into a guy and buries him in the block and forces a double team. Those are the things that Middleton was really good at. So Middleton was just great for Milwaukee, who doesn't have that good of a half-court offense. He was the one that really kind of gave them that safety valve when their half-court offense wasn't working. And then defensively, like he was going to guard probably Jalen Brown. And uh, now Wes Matthews is probably going to be guarding Jalen Brown. And Wes is shorter. His his feet are not as good, I think, at this point. We just saw Jalen Brown go against Bruce Brown in crunch time over and over again and just blow him away and just go right through him. Like that was a huge, that was a big ascension moment for Jalen Brown in his career. Like Jalen showed he can actually muscle. When he gets open space, he doesn't have to get to his little like turnaround shots in the paint. Like he can muscle through a dude, finish right through him like Jason Tatum has been doing. And so Middleton has the size to make sure that Jalen Brown can't get through him. And actually has the long arms to actually contest him at the rim. When Milwaukee's defense is spread out, they don't have that anymore. And uh, you know, that's a huge disadvantage there. So, you know, Milwaukee, like, that's why I just, I just think it's Celtics six or sorry, if I took away suspense, edit that out. Um, but that's why I think the Celtics are going to win the series. Yeah. It's like Middleton is a, is a great player. He's the, you know, it's, it's third or fourth best player in the series, or depending on what you think of Drew Holiday, depending on what you think of Sam Hauser, like, you know, he's one of the best players in the series and he's out. So that's, that's, a, that's an insurmountable loss.
2: So we kind of already hinted at this a little bit. Uh, Jalen might end up missing some time in this series, depending on how things go with his hamstring tightness. It sounded at first like it was very minimal, but they both, both Brad Stevens on two chair and Rich and you uh, Udoka in the last last press availability, both talked about his hamstring as if it was a little bit more serious than that. So I'm wondering, uh, can they survive this series without him? Should they rest him? Like, what are your thoughts about about this whole situation with Jalen?
0: It's a really interesting idea of resting him for game one. Um, it's funny because Milwaukee... For some reason, they're terrible in game ones, and then they just get way better over the course of the series. So I I don't think you've got to, like, look at that historical context. It's like it's it's the Milwaukee Bucks. Any win you get against them is a huge achievement. So, yeah, I, I think the funny thing of this is the irony that it was Brad Stevens was the one telling the truth about an injury while Imei Odoko was the one hiding things. Usually it was the other way around over the years. So that was pretty funny. Although Imei's been really good about lying about injuries. Like he made it sound like Rob Williams was out for the series the whole time. But he only missed two games in the goddamn series. Although we saw why he was pretty awful when he actually played. So, and that's a huge, that's a huge variable here. That Like that's why I think this is still a super tight series. I've heard people having this, like, I think I heard like Scal said that he thinks it's going to be a, Celtics win by like one possession in game seven. Like I, I see where he's coming from with that. Cause Rob does not look good. And I don't think Rob is going to suddenly look like himself after like a week off or whatever it's going to be. So, you know, not even like six days. So yeah, like this, like both of these teams are hobbled Jalen Brown with a hamstring injury. Like that's, that freaks you out because it's one where, you know, it can get worse and it's one where, like Jalen, his whole thing has been he's been high pressuring, getting out in transition, uh, you know, hitting his hanging jumpers, that kind of stuff. Like if he loses a little bit of that extra push, a little bit of that extra effort, that, that limits him a ton. And Milwaukee's defense is so long that if he's not jumping over their defense, he loses a ton of his effectiveness. So, yeah, if Jalen is hurt and Rob is still hobbled or not, just like rusty and out of sorts, that's when this series
3: gets really, really evened out.
2: Kim, you have some questions.
3: Sure. So, uh, and we're running up against our little time limit, but that's okay. A couple of things. First, the, the coaching matchup, I think Budenholzer at a glance, maybe uh, wears it on the chin in terms of like his coaching or lack thereof. But I think that that's a lazy take. And I think last playoff run really uh, is proof positive that that's a lazy take. And interestingly enough, Budenholzer and Udoka cross paths way back when in where else San Antonio first when Udoku was a player and then um, as an assistant. So there's a lot of cross pollination and then Ben Sullivan um, also an assistant in this series. There's a little bit more going on there. So a lot of um, people who learned how to coach from similar people, Jared, your estimation, who has the coaching edge and why?
0: Ooh, um, I'm not going to put anyone over the defending champion coach who. You know the big thing with Bud is I think people understand adjustments in two levels. There's, do you change your scheme overall, or do you tweak little things around your scheme? And the whole thing with Bud was just that he didn't change his scheme overall, but he made tweaks. There are different ways of like what like how much how deep do you drop? What angle is the big man dropping at? Is he shading someone one direction? How do you like how do you have the guard over the top of the screen? go over the top do you want him to go over super hard or do you want him to go in like like do you want him to go super hard so that he's over the back of the defender or like try to go in nice and tight so that he's underneath the defender's hip like there's all sorts of stuff like that um, and then how you help you know like where you send the helps from how do you recover on the back whatever I don't need to give a whole dissertation the point is is that coach Bud is a very good coach' he's a, he's a champion coach he has elevated to, he's, he's been great over the years of building systems at work for the roster. And yeah, I do agree that I do agree with the general consensus that like he has been on, he has always been a little bit slow to make adjustments. But also, we talked about like the history of Milwaukee losing game ones. That shows that he figures out series over the course of the series and he figures out how to win them. So I'll give him the edge. Imi Odoka sample size is really small. It's really good. Uh, it's really good. But that Brooklyn team was just like, they had no chemistry. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time.
1: And if you love the filet of fish
0: right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Three. Um, you know, there's, there's all sorts of questions about who's really making all the calls there. Uh, between just the way the coaching staff is set up in Brooklyn and the way that the players talk about themselves and stuff like that. Um, you know, it's like, I don't know if Brooklyn was really equipped to be able to counter Ime's adjustments, although they did, they did make a few really good adjustments and I felt like they figured out the series as time went on, but just like Boston just kind of ran them to the ground or shut them to the ground really. So Milwaukee is more resilient than that. Boston's physicality is not going to overwhelm them the way it did before. Um, the way that it did for Brooklyn. So, you know, Udoka is probably really well even match with Bud, but like Bud's, Bud's still Bud. He's still going to be the edge on the coaching staff.
3: Yeah. It would take five fingers to count how many rings uh, Budenholzer has as an assistant or head coach. Um, And with respect to Udoka, this is his first uh, go around. Um, Jared, you tipped your hand. You said Celtics in six. So I'm going to ask you three quick questions to get you out of here. First, X factor for the Celtics, X factor for the Bucks. And finally, do you want to change that Celtics in six? So you got a minute on the clock. Go.
0: Uh, I'll say Celtics in six and a half just because Jalen, <laughs> since I made that prediction a couple of days ago, uh, Jalen's injury concerns have gotten a little bit more exacerbated. So yeah, Celtics in six and a half, um, Right. I should be saying Bucks in six for posterity's sake, but I'll say Celtics in six and a half. Uh, X factor for the Celtics. I mean, I think obviously like Rob Williams's health. But mm-hmm. as far as just, like, player, like, regardless of the health thing, Grant Williams. Grant Williams was really good defensively on Giannis, uh, and he's been shooting the ball well. Those things hold up. That's, like, where I think the Celtics really win the series is, are, is their floor spacing against Brooklyn uh, – against the way Milwaukee collapses the floor on defense? Is Are they going to be able to make them pay with really good shooting? And if Grant shoots the ball well, yeah, they can. And can Grant – the way he plays physical defense with his chest, with his hands back, can he continue to do that against Giannis – that that's huge because that means they can keep Giannis from getting 45 points and 10 assists mm-hmm. every single night, which he's very capable of doing. Uh, Milwaukee's X factor, I guess, like, is Grayson Allen going to keep score? You know, Is he going to be able to score lights out in lieu of Chris Middleton? Um, and then also just like him, Milwaukee's huge lineups that work against Boston. If Boston goes small and wants to move the ball really fast, are they going to mm-hmm. run a ton? then can Milwaukee stay big because when Milwaukee is able to make their big line of work with Giannis, Bobby Portis, and Brooke Lopez, they can kill you on the glass and kill you on the interior on both ends.
3: Tremendous. Wouldn't change a word. Uh, Celtics, it's six and a half. You heard it here first. Um, you can find Jared Weiss everywhere from CNN Philippines all the way to The Athletic. Jared, <laughs> thanks so much for coming on and um, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, boys. Good to see you, Jared. So, Thank you again to our friend, Jared Weiss. And before we talk about our own opinions on the Celtics and what is about to come between the Celtics and Bucks, let's pause the action and talk about our friends at betonline.ag, the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. You can find the latest sports developments, including updated odds on the playoffs, fights, or even next season's futures. And don't forget that baseball is back and the start of Major League Baseball is in full swing. No pun intended. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started. Just head to the website or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, gentlemen, we have a little bit of news and then we will fill in the gaps, anything that maybe Jared missed. The first news may or may not be important steve palyuka and his friends are not going to be buying the chelsea football club which is bad perhaps for their bottom line but it also means that one of the celtics owners is not investing in part billions of dollars on something that is not the boston celtics justin is that a fair read or is it not going to affect the celtics in any way I don't
2: really think it's going to affect the Celtics in any way, just because, I mean, maybe if some kind of major financial disaster rolled up and hit Bain Capital, it could, but they have made a ton of money through the pandemic, which is why they're even in a position to really be able to comfortably do that in the first place. And I would be very, very, very surprised if they did not happily and thoroughly invest in a team that is playing this well, especially after what it was doing at the beginning of the season and the season before that, et cetera. So yeah, I don't think it's too big of a deal. Uh, I feel bad for pegs, um, you know, better luck next
3: time. Yeah, we, we talked, I guess I'm willing to eat crow. Maybe the Celtics should have spent into the luxury tax based on what this team looks like. But um, certainly if this team does look pretty good in the postseason, let's spend billionaires dollars on our basketball team. Uh, also in the way of news, and I'm not gonna say much because I don't want to say anything that isn't true, um, Keon Dueling has been added to that ongoing fraud case that has now uh, wrapped up a bunch of former NBA players. So, uh, if that is just at all interesting to you, I, I commend you to look into that. But that's all I'm going to say about it. And I would also add I know that it is the beginning of the second round of the postseason. We have a little bit of news by way of uh, Sean Devaney of Heavy.com saying that maybe the Celtics would take a peek at Carmelo Anthony and kick their tires on that. Uh, 17 18 maybe 19 year pro um it remains to be seen what the celtics might actually need next season uh, a lot of that has to do with what's about to happen this postseason. but alex give us 30 seconds on carmelo anthony joining the celtics not gonna happen absolutely not um because <laughs> here's the deal
4: you can't join the celtics unless you can credibly play defense and Melo has not played defense in like eight years so that's not gonna happen
3: I love carmelo anthony so much um but that's the right read and if he's willing to not play cool but yeah if he wants to be an integral part of the i, I just i hope that grant grant williams isn't too expensive and the response to that is oh, no, him. no no no
2: no no, no. yeah no and plus there's there's other shooters on this team which would presumably be why you'd be bringing him on to the team at this point that mm. you'd be retarding the development of so it's just a in my opinion, a very bad take from some anonymous Western executive.
3: Sure. I love when the next PA goes, Carmelo Anthony. That looks so rent-free in my head. All right. Speaking of news, which we uh, talked a little bit about with our friend, Jared, that both Brad Stevens and Ime Odoka have made mention that Jalen Brown's hamstring tightness is being monitored. Um, we teased perhaps that he should sit out game one or play limited minutes. Justin, I'll go to you first. From your vantage point, big deal, little deal, no deal, the hamstring.
2: Uh, medium deal, and I think it really all depends on how he responds to treatment in this little bit of a layover, which thank God they got. If they had to throw him right into the series immediately, I think they would have to rest him just to, to be sure that they didn't lose him for an entire series, which could be disastrous, as we, we've already spoken about. I think that the way to go, in my opinion, is as long as they are comfortable with him playing, because there's only tightness and it's not actually an injury at this point, is try to get the first two home games. If you get up 2-0, let him rest game three on the road, see how it goes.
4: Alex? I'm largely in agreement with Dr. Quinn. Hamstring injuries are really, really tough to predict. So you've got to just kind of monitor them constantly and then make in the moment reads about them. Obviously, the Celtics really, even as currently constructed with all of their roster depth, they can't afford to lose a player like Jalen Brown for an extended period of time in the postseason. So whatever you need to do to make sure that he is healthy and ready to go, I think the Celtics should at least consider that Um, if that means he plays, but maybe Derek White gets another five extra minutes here or there, something like that. I don't think that's crazy. I do think that in the playoffs, it's one of those things where there's so few games left that every game truly does matter. So, on the one hand, you want to have your best guys out there. On the other hand, it's really, really tough to figure out um, what what the best read is with a hamstring injury. So, I would say just monitor it up until game time. See if he's ready to go. If he is ready to go, play him. But be prepared to play him maybe fewer minutes than he might normally be playing and try and lighten the load on it as much as possible. The good news is that um, while the Bucks obviously are a really good team and everybody's going to need to be locked in defensively, Jalen is not going to be for the most part getting the primary assignment on the Bucks best players. He's mostly going to be there to contest uh, shots out on the perimeter. And if he can do that, I think he'll be okay.
3: Yeah. So uh, I'll hop in and uh echo similar sentiments. Also, no pun intended with the echo, which I know I'm still figuring out my situation. Uh, But Tim Bontemps, geez, where were you recording out of on the Hoop Collective? Um, Anyways, a a couple of points. So, like, uh, Joel Embiid is playing with a torn ligament in his thumb, which is kind of preposterous, but it doesn't necessarily stop things in its tracks if you drive a a manual transmission car an old one you know that you could just like straight up lose third gear but so long as you have first second and fourth the car keeps moving forward and a hand injury or something like that if you can tolerate the pain and work your way around it you still get from a to b a hamstring injury would be like a blown tire which is if it goes bad it goes bad and suddenly it stops which we saw a little bit with devin booker right they were up against it against the pelicans and they still knew we get a pause. We, we need to put Booker on the pine for a little bit and rest this thing. So I don't know how serious Jalen Brown's hamstring tightness is, but to that end, missing game three is uh, worth the price of admission if it means not missing games six or seven, right? Um, so certainly something to monitor. Um, I'm a little concerned insofar as the Bucks between January and April of the regular season played at the third highest pace of any team in the NBA and the Celtics played at the 25th highest pace of any team in the NBA. Um, and I mean, the Celtics are the higher seed. Maybe they get to, uh, set the the table and quite literally set the pace. Um, certainly in the home games, but at the same time, the Bucks are the defending champions and if they push the pace and the Celtics try to keep up, that could be problematic. So a medium deal, but, um, the intricacies of this injury are worth considering. Same, same, but different. We also talked to Jared about this, but Chris Middleton reportedly will not return for the series. Um, f- reporting around major injuries this postseason has been shoddy, but I'm going to guess that this is pretty good. Maybe game seven, something would change, but it seems like Chris Middleton is out for the series, um, which again, we're not rooting for on the Celtics Up Podcast. That stinks, but we can talk about what it means. So Dr. Quinn, I'll go to you first either from a Bucks perspective or a Celtics perspective. I know we did this last time we talked, but what are your thoughts on uh, Middleton injury?
2: Well, I don't think I can do much better justice to it than Jared did. I mean, he's the guy who just bails them out whenever they can't find something, and now they don't have him. You know, he's like their Rob Williams, basically. When they when they don't have anything to do, then they can just give it to him, and poof, he finds a bucket somehow. Sorry about all the dogs. It's always something here in this apartment. Uh, As far as him returning, I don't think there's really any chance. I don't think there's like a Rob Williams thing going on here. I've heard a couple of people kind of hint that maybe there's a little bit of gamesmanship going on here, but I mean, this is a pretty well-known injury in terms of how long it lasts for. And KD was dealing with it during the regular season. And it took him over a month, if I recall correctly, to come back. And even then he wasn't really, really himself for a few games after that. So he's not coming back in the series as far as I'm concerned. I would be absolutely floored if he was, uh, I'm actually keeping an eye around the league, and there are a number of players, like you you mentioned Embiid playing through that, like he is amazing with how well he is playing, but it's clearly changing his game, he's not living at the foul line like he used to, he's not passing it as much, it's definitely changing how often he shoots it as opposed to drives, he's not the same player and he's still helping his team win fairly easily. So I think that maybe um, the predictions of his doom is a little bit overrated in terms of the 76ers advancing further deeper into the playoffs. And I think they're going to give a pretty banged up Miami Heat team with Kyle Lowry and uh, Jimmy Butler both experiencing injuries that are significantly affecting them. Uh, thank God they have Victor Oladipo coming back and looking fairly good because I think they would be in mm-hmm. a lot of trouble as well. I'm going to be really curious how that matchup ends up playing out once that takes place.
3: Alex, anything we missed? I think we
4: mostly covered it. It's kind of exactly what Justin has just been alluding to. The fact of the matter is that the entire Eastern Conference is experiencing varying levels of banged up right now. And that's just kind of how the playoffs goes. I mean, we've seen in this first round a ton of injuries to everyone from role players, supporting players, to stars, all-stars, you know, things like that. So at this point in the game, uh, when we're coming down to the final eight teams, it really does come down to just um, who is going to perform best and who, what are the matchups um, with and the matchups being caveat by um, who is on the floor for those matchups. It's a really uh, challenging question, and it's something that changes on a kind of day to day basis. I think you could see wins for any one of the four remaining teams in the Eastern Conference, like truly any one of them could come out of the East. Um, we'll just kind of have to see how it plays out.
3: Yeah. Uh, that's a good parenthetical. Game one is, this is Friday afternoon. Game one is Sunday afternoon. Uh, game two, Tuesday night, and then quite a long break before game three down in Milwaukee to the benefit of people resting up and healing up. Um, but again, probably not uh, enough to see Chris Middleton who has done damage to the Boston Celtics in the postseason. So uh, it's quite an adjustment for the box certainly, but yeah, uh, Go ask the Bulls. It might not matter as much as uh, Celtics fans might hope. So we will reconvene, I'm sure, between now and the end of this series. Make sure to like and subscribe to this podcast if you haven't, so you never miss an episode. Thanks again to Jared for stopping by. And thanks again to our presenting sponsor, betonline.ag. We will catch you soon.
4: Also, if you want to come find me at the Celtics game, um, you can, I'll be there game one, I'll be up in the bleachers. Uh, So if you want to check in about the lab and offer me any uh, praise or constructive criticism, please don't yell
3: at me, Uh, I'll be there. Yeah, just look for the handsome gentleman wearing the divine sweater sweatshirt. Exactly.